0: a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's to and friends with some revelations. Little on- little-known fact about my guest today. She had a dream of bringing a museum to the heart of Times Square in New York City that celebrated the history, the power, the passion, the glory of the Broadway show. And together with her dear friend, Diane Nicoletti, it's happened. Welcome Museum of Broadway co-founder Julie Boardman to the podcast. okay. Hi, everyone. My guest today is the Tony Award-winning producer, Julie Boardman. Julie, together with her co-founder Diane Nicoletti, are the co-founders of the Museum of Broadway, which is slated to open in November of 2022 in Times Square. And it will be the very first permanent museum dedicated to over 300 years of Broadway history. Welcome, Julie, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. I am so thrilled to have you. We were talking a little bit before we started recording, but I would love to hear how you and Diane took this brilliant idea that that I can't believe no one had done it before. So thank God for the two of you. And how did it go from like
1: idea seed to idea fruition? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things. It's a bit of a hidden obvious, if you will. Um, you know, Broadway is such an integral part of New York City, of tourism, just it's the heartbeat of the city. And the fact that there isn't a museum dedicated to its history is, is you know, you would have thought it would have just been there always. So, you know, the the idea that we're the ones creating this is kind of surreal. Um, but you know, we're really honored to be bringing the history to life and, um, giving people kind of an, an inside look at the community and how you make a Broadway show and all sorts of different things. But, um, you know, it started with, so I come from, um, the Broadway producing angle. Like I am, I've been a co-producer on a bunch of different shows probably for the last I don't know, maybe a decade now. Um, and Diane comes from the experiential marketing world. So rewinding quite a bit, we actually went to college together. Um, we were in the same sorority. We've been friends for a very long time. And um, when I, you know, moved to New York and um, ended up falling into, I did the 42nd Street National Tour and all of these things. And I grew up a performer. Um, so I've like loved, you um, you know, Broadway, since I was a little kid. And, um, and so, yeah, we, we ended up working together um, during my performing days. I ended up falling into like doing this promotional marketing stuff, which I didn't even realize was necessarily. Yeah. Um, you know, a job that someone could have. I started doing that. I one thing led to the next. I started a company doing it. Diane had had a an experiential marketing agency, and so she hired me to staff all of her events. So we worked together for the last ten years, and um, I guess we've been friends for like twenty. Worked together for ten. Been working on this for five, and um, you know we're we're just a couple weeks out from opening now, so. Um, very long-winded answer to, to share how it started. But I, you know, I'm in Broadway and a Broadway museum. It's not a new idea, but I think our approach is really unique. So we're taking the history of Broadway. Um, sorry. Sorry. Um, so Sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought. Um,
0: You were saying that you're sort of taking oh, the history what, what of Broadway and sort of
1: doing it in a really innovative way. Yeah, so we're gonna be taking the history of Broadway um, starting in the 1700s all the way through to present day. Um, and the way that we're telling the story is very focused around the idea that um, it's focused around the idea that, you know, we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us so had all of these people not pioneered and broken ground we've, we would never have the art form that we have today, so we. Um, you know, you walk through the timeline of Broadway and when you get to a certain show, it comes to life around you. So it's immersive and Instagrammable and interactive and experiential. Um, So it's really taking, you know, it'll have costumes, props, set models, renderings, um, you name it. And then the storytelling is done in a way that is, you know, it's a hybrid basically between how people like to consume content today and a traditional museum. But this idea,
0: when you say immersive, I kind of pictured, you know, the Van Gogh, that kind of immersive experience. I'm feeling that a little bit vibes when you talk about what the experience would be on your end. Is that way off or like slightly
1: what you mean? Yeah, no, it's not way up at all. Um, We, when you get, as you walk through the timeline of Broadway, um, like I said, shows come to life around you. So you totally spot on, Um, you know, one of the rooms is about Oklahoma. And when you get to Oklahoma, you walk through an immersive cornfield where, you know, it feels like a bright golden haze on the meadow and the corn happens to be as tall as an elephant's eye. And, um, but we worked with different artists and designers in each of the rooms. So that room is actually the artist is Anne-Marie Kulik, who, um, is, is an amazing painter that I found on Instagram actually. And, um, so she's painted this beautiful landscape, um, of, you know, Oklahoma, And she painted it on a normal size painting. We scanned it in, uh, blew it up, and now it's wallpaper in the room. She came on site, she's from Virginia, and she painted over the top of it. And then there's these cornfields, there's a barn, it's got all these artifacts, and then there's um, an interview with Agnes DeMille talking about the dream ballet. So it's kind of coupling those two ideas together.
0: With anything in New York, so much of it is about finding real estate that, it, that can, it's it all starts with the real estate. Like if you're a show, what Broadway house is available? If you're a museum, what building is available? So how
1: did you, like, how did that happen? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, there had been a handful that I've heard of, um, so I'm sure there's many more of um I don't know when I call it an attempt, but like, uh, idea to have a Broadway museum and it never got off the ground. So for whatever reason, here we are doing it. And I think the real estate is actually a big factor in that. Um, you know, we are, it's a startup essentially, right. Like a lot of landlords in time that has to be in times square. We had a very small amount of space to, you know, look within, to find our home. And, um, And so, but yeah, we're essentially a startup. So it's not like we're Nike trying to get a space in Times Square. So, you know, we had to find the right landlord and we had to find the right space. And we had had, you know, we had found a space before COVID and luckily hadn't entered into a lease. And then COVID happened Um, and where we are, our home is, it used to be an Irish pub, an office space. So we're converting it all into the Museum of Broadway and it's 26,000 square feet. Oh and my God. God. Yeah, and we have four floors. Um, so the cellar ground, second and third of the building. So I read somewhere, tell me if this is true, that sort of a portion of
0: the sales will go to, of tickets goes to Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. Can you talk a little bit about the different um, partnerships or collaborations you've had to make this happen from within the Broadway community?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um so when we first were developing the idea, we went around also because there hasn't been anything like this, you know, wanted to make sure that everyone was open to the idea of it existing, because if no one wanted it to be, we shouldn't have made it, right? So we went around and we met with, um, you know, all of the theater owners, the licensing companies, Broadway Cares, Equity Vice um, with the Broadway League and the American Theater Wing. So we, you know, and, and more, and went around and just said, hey, this is, this is what we're thinking to do, this is our background, this is why we're the people to do this, um, you know, what do you think? And luckily I I had all these relationships already since I was working within the Broadway community. So, um, and a lot of the project actually is the community coming together to make this happen for fans and, and for people in the community too.
0: You know, I, I know that when I even started this podcast, the idea of like, Can you be an actor and also have a podcast? People are really myopic and very interested in everyone staying in one lane. And obviously, for me, the podcast has been such an organic extension of my career. Um, And it sounds to me that this and all of the producing you've been doing, sort of the steps from performer, passionate arts lover branding and sort of you know all of these different things were you always an actor who even when you were in a show were you like oh I wish they would ask me to like do the poster and sort of did you always have like a producer's hat on at the same time or is that something that developed later as you matured as a human being and and were aware of all your other gifts
1: um yeah I know I'm having to like think back but um yeah. I, I mean, I went to school for, I was a, a music major, so ended with music industry. So that's like, at, I, we both went to the university of Southern California and my classes were all music, but then the business side of it, um, and marketing and classes like that. Um, yeah, it's a good question. I, I, um, Oh, uh I, I grew up performing, like like you said. Um, but I was in this group, the Young Americans. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but there's a bunch of people who've been on Broadway um who are part of the group, uh, Stephanie J. Block, Sharon Mitchell, Eden Espinosa, a whole bunch of people. And um and I think in that group, they teach you to like make it work and think about things in a very different way and not just be the performer. So I think I've had that ingrained in me because I was in the group from when I was like 15 to 20. Um so yeah, I don't know. And I always just had, I was, you know, inquisitive and wanted to know like how it worked. And I didn't realize you didn't have to be the actor when you moved to New York. So that's a bit of the genesis of like um one of the exhibits um, is around the making of a Broadway show. And it really dives into all those different jobs you could have because I didn't know. And I also found it like um when I did start getting into the producing side of it, um, you know, I was kind of in the minority as a younger female in in on that side of the business and um you know it from the outside looking in it's a very small community so you have to kind of get in and then make friends and um so yeah I don't know but I always like kind of ask a lot of questions and I remember being down at one of the Broadway League uh the biennial and having a conversation with a friend who i had made who's running one of the agencies and i was like oh i wonder if there's i was i at the time sorry a little confusing a little step back but i had started um an event staffing agency that i had mentioned before and um so i was working on all these events for these big brands game of thrones coca-cola nike victoria's secret all these things for promotional marketing and like fan activations essentially um so like on-site staffing all the people with out of work Broadway actors um you know so but you're there you're on site you see how people react to things and what they want to do and the questions they have um And so I think all of that kind of, well it definitely informs how we got to make this museum in the end um in the format that it is but um but yeah I was down at this um this conference and I remember asking my friend, you know, what if there was something with like VR, what if you kind of could show audiences what a Broadway show was like before they went into the theater in a way so that, you know, if, if they, there is a barrier to entry, you could show them. And then if they're like, oh, that's interesting, then you could like direct them on like how to get a ticket to Broadway and all sorts of things. And, um, you know, at the time, I think the answer was, oh, Nice idea, but had it probably not going to ever happen. Who's ever going to fund that? Those kind of answers. So, um, yeah, so fast forward, I guess that might have been like the inkling of an idea way before Diane and I even started talking about this. Actually, now that you asked me that wonderful question, (laughs) now that I think about it, what's your
0: dream? Like, when you envision sort of what the Museum of Broadway will mean, I know. One of the first exhibits is going to be um, the Hirschfeld exhibit and for anyone, you know, he is past now, but I mean, maybe you can tell people a little bit who he is and and what the hidden Ninas were and, and what was so special about his caricatures and the legacy of that and why you're starting with a major exhibit of his,
1: of his work. Yeah. Um, well, so when we did that initial, you know, bring the idea around to people, um, you know, I had a friend who works with the Hirschfeld foundation, um, and Al Hirschfeld was such an integral part of Broadway. You know, he he captured like every opening night for so many years and, and just, it was a really natural fit, I think. Um, so we were always planning to, work with them um, and the special exhibit develops a little bit later actually, but as people walk through the timeline of Broadway, they'll see Hirschfelds along the way um, throughout the entire thing which, so we're very fortunate to be able to show those to people. Um, and as we were exploring like, well, what would this first special exhibit be? What could it be? What should it be? Kind of all of the questions. Um, uh, there's a book that's coming out right now. So it's kind of perfect timing and it all all came together to to make this exhibit. So it should be a lot of fun. Um, and I think, I guess I haven't really fully answered this for you yet. So just taking a couple steps back, just in terms of like what guests might expect when they come to the museum. So there's going to be a gift shop that'll be open to the public with or without a ticket. Um, and it's going to sell merchandise from all You know, if there's 41 shows in the 41 theaters, we'll sell 41 different shows. Um, We've got we've got a line of Hirschfeld merchandise that's very cool. We've got um, you know a bunch of small businesses that we're supporting that get to have kind of like shop within a shop. Um, There's a lot of fun stuff in there. Um, The giant Tony medallion um, we have, so people can see that you know, normally it's stored all year until it's needed for the Tonys. So that's going to be fun. Um, And it's a, so the museum is a time ticket and that's just to make sure everyone has a really great time. It's never too crowded. Um, Good, you know, flow and guest experience is really important to us. Um, And so when you, when you first start your experience, you start in present day Broadway. So it's everything that's currently running on Broadway that day. Then you go back in time, it says let's start at the very beginning, and you go back, you go through these doors into, we call it the map room, and it's the history of the theaters. So they started in the financial district. How did Times Square and Broadway become what they are? Most people have no idea that it started downtown, and I just think it's really fascinating. So um, through about a three and a half, four minute video through projection mapping onto this deconstructed cityscape, it comes to life before your eyes. Um, and again, I said it's like from the community, right? So Julie James has done the voiceover. Jen Tepper curated the content. Um, you know, it's it's really bringing it all together. The Broadway Sinfonetta recorded this like beautifully scored. Um, Macy and Daniel like uh, Daniel recorded this um, like uh, scored basically like taking give my regards to Broadway and like stylistically going through all the years to get us to present day. You hear ragtime, you hear like you morph through all of these sounds to get to a more contemporary musical theater sound. Um, But the whole thing is done to give my regards to Broadway. I love it. I'm so mad. I'm so mad I didn't join
0: you and Diane in doing this. I feel like it would have been the dreamiest, dreamiest job to kind of figure out how to help people globally celebrate this thing that we love so much, but I'm glad you guys did it. And I can't wait to observe it as, as a, an audience member of the museum. Um, So as you go forward, so obviously you're like, it's whatever is happening in the Broadway theaters on that given day. And, and as shows rotate in and out of a theater, I guess, so will your, so will what is experienced in the museum change, right? Like it's going to be
1: this ongoing experience in that way. Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, So it actually doesn't change that much. There are parts that will change, but um, so once you've been in the map room, you then start walking the timeline of Broadway from the 1700s all the way through to present day. So there are traditional kind of timeline walls that are plays, musicals, people, groundbreaking, pioneering moments that happened. Mm -hmm. And then you get to a show that really transformed the landscape of Broadway. And then we've partnered with a different artist or a Broadway designer to help bring it to life. Well, it's really thrilling. And, and
0: as we come to a close, cause I know you have so many things going on right now in order to open your doors, um, which is really thrilling. And uh, thank you on behalf of the community of kind of curating this magical place. What is your hope? What's your dream for this museum?
1: Um, you know, I think that people, kind of have a new appreciation, newfound appreciation for Broadway. Maybe they already love it. I think there, you know, there are a lot of different people who will come through the museum. Some will know everything and will look for kind of like an Easter egg kind of thing of, Mm -hmm. you know, what they didn't maybe know. Um, You know, as you pointed out before people who love Hirschfeld can go through and find the Ninas. Um, You know, some people, maybe they've only seen one Broadway show before ever So we hope that they, you know, it's, we hope it's informative, um, you know, we have a team of curators who helped to put this together and, you know, it's really a labor of love by the community at large, I would say, um, you know, there's so many items from so many different designers and, um, it's, it's very cool, but also that they have fun. So, you know, you're learning and, you know, it kind of helps to put into context too. um, you know, Oklahoma was the Hamilton of its day, you know, cabaret worked so well because of what was going on, you know, for many reasons, but one of them I think was that, you know, there, what, what it was touching upon from like 1930s Berlin, that was the story, but when it was produced, that was right in our backyard in America. So, you know, it's kind of helping put into context, the timeline, when these, when these shows kind of took t- t- took off, and and really, you know, the even the the um, the art form, you know, how that progressed and where mm. it came from, because it's a really uniquely American art form, musicals, and there are also a lot of plays that are are in there too. So, it, of course, it's both.
0: So, before I let you go, I just want to, its a little corny, but I, it occurred to me to ask you to fill in the blank. Um, and what it means to you. So, if you could just finish this sentence Broadway
1: is um, an ever evolving art form that is, you know, so unique. And no one performance is like any other. So, you know, the museum is not meant to take away from that, it's just meant to enhance someone's experience when they go to then see their next show. All right. So, just to shut us
0: down, tell me a little-known fact about Julie Borden.
1: Um, no. Um, I guess. Um, well, what my very first show that I was ever in, how how I got started in this whole crazy, crazy world of of Broadway. Um. So when I was five, <laughs> I saw my neighbor across the street in a production of Annie and I was said to my mom, I was like, I want to do that. And so the next show that this particular children's theater was doing was The Sound of Music. So I played a goat in The Lonely Goat Herd. <laughs> Julie Boardman,
0: thank you for coming on the podcast. And I wish you such tremendous success with this incredible adventure and i cannot wait to visit the museum of broadway
1: yeah i can't wait for you to see it thank you so much for having me you are so welcome a o k
0: hello listeners i just saw a beautiful play at the atlantic theater company it's called the far country and it is running until January 1st, 2023. So you have a few more weeks to get there and see this play that the New York Times describes as an artful examination of the emotional price of immigration. It is directed with sensitivity and and beauty by Eric Ting. And the play really meditates on what it is to be an immigrant, what it is to hold on to your identity, as you try to assimilate into American culture. And it really speaks to and teaches us about what's called the Chinese Exclusion Act, a really brutal brutal part of American history that I certainly didn't know enough about. And I'm so grateful to the playwright and to this play for its beautiful, beautiful performances, stunning, stunning design, um, and just one of these intimate plays that is just um a pleasure to watch because you absorb this incredible language and these incredible performances and i really encourage you before it closes go see the far country another extraordinary production at the atlantic theater company one more thing i keep getting emails asking how to donate to the podcast First of all, thank you in advance. You are the kindest humans. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. That is where you donate. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. This episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Clark. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you.